Hello, and welcome to the Leaders of B2B podcast. On this show, we bring you interviews with leading executives at today's rapidly growing B2B tech companies. We dissect the stories, strategies, and journey of CEOs, COOs, CMOs, and more as they share their professional journey. Tune in each week for new episodes from today's leaders. This episode is brought to you by Content Allies. We help B2B tech companies build and run revenue-generating podcasts. We set you up with weekly interviews with your ideal prospects and strategic partners. You show up and have engaging conversations. We handle everything else. Learn more about launching your podcast at contentallies.com. This episode is brought to you by Ad One Zero, where we do lead to close sales execution for B2B services companies with a technology flair. If you're looking to scale your company from six figures to seven figures of revenue, talk to Ad One Zero. Hey, leaders, welcome back. This is Ledge. As you know, I am a managing partner of Ad One Zero where we work on B2B sales teams. And I'm super excited to have Chris Vandersloos here today with us. He has got a wealth of experience. We're going to dig <laughs> way back through, I think, Fiverr, something different recession stories. So uh, I'm excited about that, having been wiped out by at least one or two myself. But he's the CEO and founder of HMS Software. Chris, welcome. I'd love if you did a much better intro of yourself and your work. Alex, that was a pretty good, actually. I'm not sure I can do a whole lot better. Um, so I'm, my name is Chris Vandersloos. I run a company called HMS Software, which is based out of Montreal, Canada. Uh, I'm not there right now. I'm in Florida, uh, where I have my home and work out of here. Um, but HMS has been around since the 80s. We started in 84. And uh, started off as a consulting firm and then shifted into uh, publishing software for project management and project control. And uh, that kind of took over our lives. We started publishing uh, Time Control, which is a uh, project-oriented timesheet back in 94. And uh, Time Control is still going strong after all that time. So uh, that, uh, that product is sold literally everywhere around the world. It's in Asia and Europe and Australia and New Zealand and uh, all across Europe and, of course, in North America. And um, and that's uh, really you know keeps us uh, very busy. We're part. We started off as on prem because back in the day there was no such thing as SaaS. Uh, but we are now a mix of uh, mostly SaaS and partly on prem business. So um, yeah, so it's a little bit about us, I guess. Yeah, you you had the opportunity there that I mean, really, so few businesses have had to make that transition to, you know, dare I say, be the legacy provider and have to jump on the, the SaaS, you know, sort of bandwagon there. And I mean, at at what point did that look fad versus real? You know, I think that would be a great Yeah, for story. a long time. It's a really, really great, great question. We did the first uh, web-based version of our product back in uh, the 90s. And uh, and we thought, well, you know, we need to do that because more and more people expect browser-based uh, applications. And so we should make sure that we're at the edge. You know, our newsletter is called The Leading Edge. We like being at the edge of, uh, of technology, making sure we're keeping up. And our, business, our clients have been, by and large, uh, large. I mean, we've never sold to a company our size. We're kind of a niche player. Um, but, uh, but our clients can be, I mean, General Electric or the U.S. Defense Department or... 
uh, AMD. I mean, so we have clients who are huge compared to us. And being uh, on the edge of whatever technology is available has been super important. So, um, but to answer that question, to go, yeah, we kind of thought it would be uh, a um, a bit of a niche thing until, uh, yeah, maybe 2010, and then and then the you know the wheels started turning at a higher and higher pace, and some of our competitors were starting to think, oh, maybe we should make a a subscription version. Some newer players who said, well, we only understand the subscription cloud-based world. We don't understand this on-prem notion. Uh, they had started already. We were there already. So our uh, our cloud-based version of time control started in 2011, I guess. Uh, so this year will be 10 years of continuous SaaS uh, provision. Uh, but we still have the on-prem uh, you know, for certain clients like defense industry, they go, yeah, we still would be very happy to keep it either on-prem or in private cloud. So we so we support both. You know, we have that, uh, we, as you say, we have that legacy of, um, you know, having lived it from early days to, you know, to what people expect now. And you, you're seeing, I mean, major, major providers in tangent spaces, for example, like Atlassian just, I think, just went all cloud and is now phasing out. It's a business conversation. Yeah, no, I hear you, and they're not the only ones. Yeah, I and I, I mean, I hear the temptation because from a cash perspective and from a logistics perspective, it's better for me. So if I were to say cloud only, I get a certain, I mean, the price you know, for the first year is cheaper to go with our cloud than with our on-prem. But over time, we are going to get a little bit more cash into the business on a subscription basis like that than we would otherwise with regular upgrade and, and technical support contracts. Plus, if everyone's on the same version, if everyone's using the same infrastructure, if everybody's on the same database, my support costs go down. So it's kind of a win-win for me, not necessarily for the client. So I hear the temptation. We have made the business decision strategically just to say, we will support both for the foreseeable future. Uh, and that means if you would go like to go private cloud, but on your own server with a certain version of a server software and a certain version of a database, we still want to be there supporting you, as we always have. So I'm not I'm not sure that there will come a day. If so, it's not going to be really soon, where we you know follow that Atlassian model and go, yeah, we're we're cloud only. Pay me every year. Yeah, I mean, you just you wonder, you know, the big gorilla companies can pull this off. You know, Microsoft can say, well, now we're subscription. You know, you have no choice. There, it's coming. It's coming yeah. that way. I think. I mean, yeah. for Microsoft, with whom we've been partnered a very long time. Um, I mean, we've had a continuous Microsoft partnership since '95. I've worked inside of Microsoft on, um, you know, on um, uh, partner advisory councils. I mean, I, I know the business very well from the inside there. They've made the decision to push stronger and strong, you know, strong more and more strongly towards a subscription model. I mean, I get it. Um, you know, I'm not sure that I, you know I'm happy with it, but I do understand they want everybody to be on the current version instead of saying, "Hey, my my Office 2000 doesn't work the way it used to." You know. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. Well, as we all know, there's a lot of Windows 7 machines out there that are going to be kicking uh, for a whole long time. They are, yeah. yeah. And we have to, for for legacy support, we have to keep them going in, you know, virtual uh, virtual machines so that we can, you know, reestablish older versions. Yeah, absolutely. And so, you know, time 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 and project management, you know, it's sort of like people have been dealing with these problems since the invention of time. <laughs> so, you know, what over that period of time what are the what are the core things that that matter i mean at any day of the week now you can probably hear of another 
you know, project management SaaS tool or time tracking tool. And then you can hear, you know, employees up, down, left, right, center, all just say, oh, I hate tracking time. I don't want to fill out my timesheet. And, you know, what have you, what have you learned? Share the wisdom, (laughs) I mean, since 1984. (laughs) Yeah, we, first of all, nobody wakes up on a Friday morning and goes, oh, Friday, I get to do my timesheet today. I mean, that's, yeah, that's not a fantasy. (laughs) Um, the the thing that surprised us, surprised us at the very beginning and continues to be a factor is that we come to a, a company, an established company, not somebody who's just getting started and trying to figure out their best practice, but somebody who's been around for a while. And you arrive and you go, so um, do you have a timesheet here? And they go, oh, yes. Um, you know, we, we talked just recently to a company with several thousand people that are doing timesheets on Excel. And I have nothing bad to say about Excel. I use it every day. But when you try to turn that into an enterprise product, it becomes very challenging. And one question that we ask, the thing that surprised us from the beginning, is we go, are there more than one timesheets in place? And you find out, yes, there are. Uh, sometimes two, sometimes four. Sometimes we're in one place, they had nine. And so you go, well, that doesn't sound good. How did that happen? And you know how it happens, not because of any kind of thing malicious. No one wakes up and goes, I've got a great idea. Let's put in as many different kinds of tools for the same thing as we can. Think of the variety. No, for a timesheet, you want it to be something stable. Um, and But we found that back in, in the, you know, before we even launched Time Control in the late 80s, early 90s, where clients were like, we're struggling with this. We have a timesheet for the project people. We have to because we have to track how the project's going. We've got a timesheet for payroll. We have to. We need to pay people properly. We have something else for human resources. Apparently, there's something we're doing for the uh, finance department for R&D tax credits. We have something else going out for some other billing uh, system. We've got like five different needs for timesheets, and apparently they aren't unwilling to talk to each other. And so we thought that there was a place to go if you could only fill in you know, one timesheet surely we can figure out a way to have that serve all those different needs at the same time. That turns out to still be an elusive thing, not just because of the technology, although technology plays a factor, but because the processes are not necessarily the same. Uh, The interest of the payroll department, they care about how much time you spent, very little on what you spent your time on. Uh, The project department cares very much on what you spent your time on, not so much how much time you spent. Well, those are, they sound the same. They look the same on a piece of paper, but they are opposed processes. And so we've worked with that for now, you know, some 30-something years. Uh, and still today, we are bringing those processes together for people. Uh, it's funny, when we would do it in person, we'd come into a room, and there'd be a conference table, and I'd say, well, so who are you? Talking to the first person to my left, and they say, oh, I'm Bob, I'm from Projects. And you go, great. And then I turn to the right and go, that means you people over here must be from finance. And everyone would laugh, because consistently, these people have never talked. And so we say, well, we're here to bring these processes together. And you could immediately see people go like, what, the same thing out of the same thing? Yes. How, how long do you want to keep doing two timesheets a week? I was like, oh, well, yeah, that's a good point. All right. So we're prepared to deal with uh, you know, some disruption of process if it means that we can you know, not be doing that anymore. So that's been our business. That's the stuff we've been finding. Um, from a business strategy, what it means for us is you've got to be flexible. And, and that is really our culture as a business. If you want to say, what's HMS about? What's the kind of the key culture? Uh, we can adapt. We're flexible. We say, great, what processes are we trying to integrate here from a timesheet perspective? But just as a, as a company doing business, we're flexible. So, I mean, you mentioned, you know, in your, your intro, to, I've been through several recessions, including, you know, the challenges of this past year with the pandemic and the shutdowns and so on. And what did we do at HMS? Well, you know, we adapted. We moved off-site 
uh, basically in less than 24 hours, we had people working off site, some people who were used to doing it, some people not, but we knew what to do and we adapted. I mean, there's been literally no complaint from the staff. We, you know, we had to change some things, but we, you know, we were able to adapt to the way of doing business. I mean, for us, that's been pretty good. People have been thrown around the idea of agility and yep. far, far before software was supposed to become lean and, and agile. It sounds like in practice that you might have some things to say about, uh, Maybe the the, the pop, agile movement and the, the pop business version of agility versus what what maybe it's, it's actually, been around a long time. Yeah. <laughs> In construction, we used to call what we now call agile. That I know everyone feels we invented it like a couple of years ago, but. Uh, in construction, they used to call it a hot build. You would still be designing the third floor while they were working on constructing the second floor. And I mean, you have a rough idea of where you were heading, but uh, you and you would have rolling wave schedules. I mean, these are things that yeah, easy to look up. I didn't invent them all. They are uh, they are ways of working. And um, uh, you know, I've always thought that the notion of agile is a good business practice. To go, well, this is what we're focused on now. We need to make sure that it gets available to get out there now. Um, we need to be able to fun be functional from day to day. But, you know, we should be evolving towards longer-term plans um, and not trying to do, like, the big bang, bang plan of our process where we spend four years in a room contemplating our navels and then, you know, say, hey, here it is. We've changed our whole process. Um, so I've always been in favor of that kind of work. Um, and, you know, long before, you know, Agile was talked about in a software context or you know, that came about really out of uh, the Y2K movement, which we went through as a business. Uh, and people went, yeah, these kind of mega finance system changes were so miserable. We need to find a way to work in a more, you know, in a more effective manner. And the whole agile movement came, came around that time. So, yeah, we're, we're big fans of that whole agile notion of doing business. Yeah, absolutely. And that's where business started to at least become more modular and maybe we don't have to yeah. tear down the whole thing. And and we saw that in software from, you know, the uh, modularity and web services from the monolith type of thing. But it really did yeah. manifest straight out of, you know, organizational thought. It was just that we can't run businesses like this anymore. They're, exactly. They're too big. And, and then you had too big to fail. And we can't touch one thing without breaking 10 other things. And, um, you know, I, I think that there's a lesson in that it's not just agility; it's it's really agility by design that you you ought to have uh, maybe separated your your business concerns at least in some way. Of course, you can go too far down that chain too, and you can oh well, we just siloed ourselves out of business because nobody talks to each other, like you like you said with the finance and project people. So. Yeah, I've I, it's funny in the last year because of. I mean, what's happened with the sh the shutdowns and the pandemic? So many businesses have businesses have moved their people off site and are now working remotely, um, and that has changed and pushed a lot of people to work to SaaS models, right? To say we're going to move some systems to SaaS, which might not have been in the past. But it's been really interesting to watch how that whole agility movement is now bearing fruit in a major way. Uh, companies who move these systems off site are saying, oh, and we're going to have to still tie them together with these other systems that are now, you know, off-site. And how are you going to do that? But because we have been thinking more modularly in the last 10 years, last 20 years, uh, you know, those companies that have embraced that kind of movement have found that they're able to, with reasonably uh, small effort, tie those things together. They already have the background structure of the process. Uh, the fact that this is no longer going to be something that I interact with from our own server, maybe at a database level, 
going to be something that I interact with at a you know programming level through a service, an API, a web service, something like that, means that uh, you go, yeah, we can move that data this way. Sure, why not? Um, it's been a whole change in the way people are working, but the resistance to go to something online in the past would have been huge because, as you say, so we have a whole monolith. You're asking me to take the monolith and change it. Now maybe I can. I can take this module and I can activate it somewhere else and I can have it talk to something else in the business and maintain our process. The the secret to that conversation, the background is, do you actually know what the process is? Do you know where you're headed? Um, and that's kind of key, right? How are you going to move things forward? How are you going to, um, you know, what is the purpose of your business? What is it you want to accomplish? So, Yeah, and that happens a lot in the, you know, the startup realm where you see now we mm-hmm. have such modularity. We have you know, sort of microseconds worth of computing that you can buy. It's it's yeah. very easy to do everything with a $15 a month SaaS, or mm-hmm. as it turns out, you have actually like 20 or 30 of them. It's like death by a thousand cuts. So, you know, yep. essentially like pretending to do business is easier than it's ever been. You can spend a ton of money and actually not do anything. And, you know, Indeed. that that happens now. So I, I wonder... I like to just pick your brain if I if I can about when, when it wasn't <laughs> Not sure how valuable that is. <laughs> <laughs> right. I say you can pick my brain if I can pick your pocket, right? But you did this stuff when it wasn't cheap and easy. And yes. I wonder what lessons you could tell people to apply now. Just because it's cheap and easy doesn't mean you should. And yeah. I, that's a big theme for me. Yeah, and, and it is for us also. We often, um, you know, arrive to an organization who says, well, you know, we can get it cheaper. And we go, great. Does the other vendor you're talking about understand your business process? And the answer to that is like, well, we don't even get to talk to the other vendor. Um, you know, we can buy it online and we, you know, we don't have anyone there who understands things. Um, so what we often, you know, talk to is to say, look, we're a tool is a tool. We can sell you the tool. Um, but the purpose of this tool, of in our case, a project-oriented timesheet or a multifunction timesheet, is to improve your business process. If it's not, if we're not improving efficiency, we should move along. I mean, you know, and go talk to somebody who has that problem. Uh, if you don't have an idea of what processes you're trying to improve, we can help you with that. But if you do understand those processes, you're probably having pretty articulate conversations with our people already. So, um, so we talked. I mean, we talked to people about all manners of project-oriented things, things that not everybody is used to talking about, whether it's earned value or or whether it's um, a linking to project uh, tools. I mean, we so we have great depth in those areas. Um, we were just talking to a company that's in the nuclear business. I mean, they, they understand building nuclear uh, plants. I mean, not a tiny business, but they, we wanted to talk about how they do their cost control. We said, yeah, so we saw your your workflow. We're going to propose looking at things a little bit differently. And we did. They went, oh, well, you know, obviously this is what we should be talking about. And um, not to say theirs was wrong, but, you know, theirs was centric in, in a one perspective. We said, well, what about these other things on finance side? It doesn't show that we're brilliant or anything. It just shows that our perspective is maybe, you know, a couple of levels higher based on 30 years of work. And so, you know, that legacy of having been around for a while comes back to pay dividends like that. Um, and it's very hard for somebody who's new to the business to go, look at my incredible timesheet. I'm sure there's 
thousands of timesheets available online if I go looking, but very few that are going to have the depth uh, of understanding of your your business process when it comes to projects and finance and things like, well, how will you do an auditable research and research tax credit? We know. You know, so, um, you know, we've done them ourselves. We know how the process works. So I think I think we lean a little bit on not just, uh, you know, we wrote great code, which I think we did, um, and we continue to evolve and be at the edge of what, how that code should work, which I think we do. But also we have a, a reasonably profound understanding of how business processes around that code should work. What what do you all know about business process maybe that you think is is generally lost in this drive for you know simplicity um like i don't, yeah, know, I don't know, know if it's simplicity to pay attention to well in in our western culture we have this um we have this fetish for technology, right? We have a general belief that technology is going to fix it. I, I mean, whether that's a vaccine, as soon as that vaccine's out, the pandemic will be over, right? We have those kinds of thoughts. Uh, or software, as soon as I buy this tool, it'll be, it'll be over. Um, I remember going into a reasonably large organization, thousands of people, and, and talking to the CEO, uh, the CIO, who said, uh, I need a dashboard. And I said, well, yeah, we could do that dashboard on Friday. He said, great, great. I said, not this Friday, but a Friday one day, which he didn't find at all funny. You know, so, uh, but his notion was, as soon as I have the tool, this problem will be over. And so then we had to have a longer conversation. Why do you need a dashboard? It's like, well, because, you know, I'll need it. No, but for what? What decisions will you make from this dashboard? They go, well, it'll show me in real time, you know, how this data works. I said, great. Are you prepared to make decisions in real time? What do you mean? Right, very surprising. This notion that that technology is going to fix my problem is um, is uh, um, only part of an answer. And when you say, you know, first of all, can you even articulate your problem? I, I remember being at Microsoft, and they made fun of me for a while because I would go, look, if you can't tell me what the problem is, I don't have a solution. Um, they said we're into solution selling. I go, can you articulate the problem? They go, I don't, what are you talking about? We have the solution. I go, to what? They go, you know, to whatever your problem is. I go, no. So I, I think when you're selling enterprise software like we are, we go to a client. They say, uh, we need your software. We go, great, for what? They go, you know, to fix our problem. I describe your problem. And many companies at that level are unable to. This is, to be fair, a lot of times people are calling us because they've been tasked with finding five timesheets to look at. And there is someone who knows the problem, just not the person who's looking. So that happens sometimes. Um, I had somebody call me to ask me advice about a project management tool once. They said, hi, do you know something about this project management tool? And I said, yes, quite a lot, actually. I've written articles about it. I know this tool reasonably well. They said, well, can you implement it for us? I said, to do what? They go, well, don't you know? I go, well, how would I know, sir? Um, but they was like, well, you're the expert. You just said you were. I said, sure, I'm the expert in the tool, but what is it you want it, what do you want it to solve? They go, I need to get it running. To do what? I, I think one of these things we do is we go, I have the tool, therefore my project problems are solved. I have a timesheet, therefore all my timesheet problems are solved. Uh, you know, I bought a word processor, therefore awesome articles are pouring off of my key off of my keyboard without me touching my keys. And so it's silly, of course, when you talk about it like that, but we have that I'll call it a blind spot, an over confidence that the technology will solve solve our problem without confronting our problem. Yeah, absolutely. That no, makes a ton of sense. And and I'm certain that particularly service providers, maybe consultants or our friends who are listening who have to do any kind <laughs> of, of implementation, this is not just an enterprise problem. No. You can walk into a tiny business and they have absolutely no idea what the problem is. They have, 
I think, some sense that something feels out of balance here. Mm. Uh, and, you know, maybe another colleague or a mentor said, oh, it sounds like, you know, you really have evolved past managing your, I don't know, your project backlog in Excel. So you need to implement System X. And they go, great, you know, I'm going to get System X. And then they don't know how to use it. Nobody does right. any training. Nobody even thinks at all about, you know, weird things like, you know, taxonomies and definitions. Right. And when you say the word project, sir, what do you mean? What is the definition, the, the start and the end point of what would be a project in Business X? I don't know if you see, you're probably sure you see this, but for us, and we work in the sales and revenue realm, but it's the definition of, for that organization of the mundane words that you take for granted that is always yes. the problem. Back a uh, background of obviousness. Like we're not talking about it because obviously everybody understands it and you get way down the road and suddenly somebody goes, oh no, wait, I didn't mean that. Um, and it's something really basic. Like uh, what's a sale? What's an invoice? What's a sale? Uh, yeah. yeah. What's a contract uh, proposal? You know, and uh, these are all things that people use interchangeably to mean a million different concepts. Yeah. So, I mean, it, I've, you know, we, uh, we have a rule about in our office about uh, acronyms. And, um, you know, you can't use acronyms unless uh, it's a guarantee that everybody in the room uh, understands it. And you've defined it at the top of the document. Otherwise, please don't bother. Uh, because people start to, you know, make up their own minds about what you must have meant. So that kind of thing happens, uh, you know, can happen anywhere. Yeah, absolutely. And it's the root to really understanding is all, I think, first agreeing on almost like, what's the glossary of this? thing. And yes, I've, I've you have never, yeah. never walked into a business and ever found a place where they had one centralized set of key terms. And this is what we mean across our enterprise when we say X. Right. And that, that would be a huge tip for anybody that actually wants to do that. Well, it probably means you've done some work if you get to that place. Every once in a while, we'll run into a company and we come in and they say, so here's where we stand. And you go, oh my gosh, how refreshing. You've actually articulated uh, you know, your culture, your problem, why you need to talk to us. I mean, for us uh, in, our in our particular business, it's a fast sale because we're already aligned. Um, and they already understand exactly what they need to accomplish. They know what they don't need, um, and they uh, their questions are extremely specific about how will we, you know, do this. Um, and so for us, that works out great, you know. But it's not it's not the default. So for people who are hearing this and going, oh, I feel so badly that we're not at that place. It's uh, extremely common that is not. It's a massive level of maturity, and and yeah, you exactly. Look at like you know, sort of business or process maturity models. That's way up at the top. Now you should yeah. aspire to that and not be, uh, you know, inertia is not your friend, I guess. Maybe that's the way to put it. Yeah. Business models are funny. I mean, there's a project management maturity model and there, you know, we see a lot of that kind of thing from the, the Carnegie Mellon maturity model that kind of got that whole thing started. And, um, and I, when people, you know, pitch those things to me, I say, I think you could make a case for any level of that maturity model being the most efficient for you at a particular time. Um, you know, it's not like oh, we're at level two. That's for therefore it's bad. We need to be at level five. No, maybe level two is perfect for you. But if you don't understand where you are, you don't understand why you're there. You don't consciously make a decision to say I really don't need that. What I need is this. Um, then you're at a disadvantage. Yeah, it's like developmentally appropriate for the yeah. time of life that you are and you may not be equal across the board. Well, Chris, you're going on 40 years of being a founder and leader. Uh, Thanks for reminding me. Yeah. So good. <laughs> I'm sorry Thanks. to, I'm sorry to do that for you, but we have to mine the wisdom we can get. So I don't two or three 
most important things that stand out uh, for those of us maybe that are, I don't know, 10 years in or 20 years in? Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's never as bad as you think. And it's never as good as you think, I guess, is my first. Um, when we were having a good run and um, and everybody says, ah, oh, great, let's uh, coast, um, I'm usually the opposite to say, no, 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 it's never as good as you think it's going to be. Let's double down. And when things are looking not so great, beginning of last year, we were a little concerned for a little while and like, hey, it's not as bad as you think. It'll be fine. We were correct. I mean, you know, we... Bounced out of that. And I mean, for us, it was a great year last year. We're having a great year so far this year, I think, as people are going to more SaaS stuff. So that's the first one, I guess. Never as bad as you as you think or as good as you think. Second is uh, you got to roll with the punches. You got to be able to adapt. You've got to be flexible and 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 take care that it's not just uh, one way or the highway. I mean, you got to be able to say, hey, conditions are changing. Um, how do we need to adapt? We do this in the business all the time. I mean, all the time. We have an annual meeting where we really poke at what are our assumptions about business and about the market and about the economy. We do similar meetings on a regular basis just to say, are we still right? Are we still on the right path? Do we need to adapt in any way? We've changed our products. We've changed our approaches all based on that. So adaptability uh, is uh, is probably my second. And and the third, I could, I could probably have five of these, but the third, I think for me, would be... Um, have a clue of where you're headed. Um, you know, have a goal, have a mission, um, not just a mission statement, but like a mission document of what's, what are your principles? What are your, um, you know, what are your standards? Uh, what are the things that you're headed for? What do you want to be known for? And, um, and so for us, that has helped us when temptations want to pull us in one direction or another, maybe to make a certain kind of module or a certain kind of feature uh, or, you know, attack a certain kind of business. And we can say with confidence, that's not the business for us. I'm sorry. Uh, better to you know use somebody else for that. It's not our thing. Uh, we are great here. Um, maybe we would be great there, but we are not committed to be in that business. So um, I think for whatever your business is, having you know some notion to say this is our business at least for now. We're not committed to be everywhere. Um, that's a little bit different than I'm flexible and I can adapt. If you want to change your business model, you know, good for you. I mean that's great. Make it a very conscious decision, not a uh, a reactive one, not tail wags dog, uh, you know, uh, see, see where the dog leads. So, um, so I guess if I had to pick three, those would be my top three. Yeah, absolutely. I, I hear a common thread of intentionality. You know, yes. Of like get a, get in there and be aware and know where you are and that you, you chose it. And uh, that's a little bit different than, you know, sort of maximizing control because as we've all learned repeatedly, we are subject to macro uh, well, and control yeah. is really an illusion, isn't it? So, <laughs> yeah. uh, I mean, you can say I'm in control. I can be in control of a moment, but I mean, so many things have proved to us this past year. If you were, you know, if you based your whole life on control, you're probably in a very upsetting place right now. So, I think a lot of people, um, are. you know, be able to adapt. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, what's what's on the road as you look forward? You know, in in your your journey and personally, and then you know, you with a business, and how does it? How are you conceptualizing the next five years? Yeah, I mean, we have uh, you know we have plans out for the next five, even ten years. Uh, I'm not planning to go anywhere. I mean, I, you know, I get pitched from time to time to say, "Hey, would you like to sell it to us?" Or, and that's not we're not there, you know. So um, uh, we're having a great time doing what we're doing. We're loving taking care of our clients. Uh, you know, we have new plans for features and for new modules that would go uh, along with the stuff that we do. Um, but we see the business that we're in as an expanding business. So for the foreseeable future. 
you know, we don't see that dramatically changing. You know, we have mobile apps now and we have, you know, other ways of connecting with what we do. We uh, are doing a lot uh, of uh, data location where people say, uh, love your product, but the data has got to be in this country or that country. So we have those kinds of adaptations that we've had to do as people do things like privacy and uh, GDPR in Europe and stuff like that. So um, so that will, type of thing will continue. I think will, that will help us continue to grow the business. Um, and... Um, and uh, and so I think you will see us a bit bigger and a bit larger each year as we look forward over the next five ten years. Uh, and then you know we have clients we have clients who've been with us an awfully long time. Uh, you know people have been with us for fifteen years for twenty years as clients and you know uh, people change. I mean clients do change, but we continue to add more every year. So you know it seems to be a uh, a happy place to be even when we have a rough few months somewhere uh, because something in the economy changes or something else changes. You know we ride it through and and uh, we continue on. We're we're pretty committed to our uh, our intention. So that helps us a lot. It must be nice to have a, a, a really statistically significant graph going up and to the right for for that long. You know, it dips from time to time. I mean, it's not like I mean, it, it, it we've we've had we've had dips from time to time, but it's uh, it's not a graph that goes like this. And so, um, so the last few years, I think you were talking about SaaS to start with, but the last few years have pushed more and more of our revenue to be a recurring model. And that's good for me. I, clients are happy to do it. And I'm happy to do the other two to take care of the, uh, the on-premise work. We're not, you know, we're not interested in letting that go. Um, but, uh, but that does smooth out the curves a little bit. And when clients take a timesheet, it's a funny thing about that business that I wouldn't have told you before we started in it. But it seems obvious now that once you're on a timesheet that you like, I really don't want to get off of it. It's not the kind of thing you change every month. Uh, so we see clients who stick with us for years, which has been great. Um, and the movement away from a product like ours is usually because there's been a big corporate change. Oh, we were part of a merger. We're doing a new thing. We're, you know, whatever. Um, otherwise, we try to keep clients extremely happy and they stick around. So, so far, uh, I should knock on wood somewhere. So far, it's so good. Awesome. All right. So I'll... I'll let you finish maybe one more thing, you know, give us, give us some personal success advice. You know, when you take off your, your CEO hat, uh, what, what does Chris, the regular guy want to make sure everybody knows? Yeah. You know, uh, life balance, I guess if I had to pick one thing, uh, you know, I have two, uh, school age boys who are off at school right this moment and uh, making sure they're taken care of and that they're, uh, learning, uh, you know, and, uh, and, uh, and, and growing. Uh, I have an adult daughter back in Montreal who I love very much. I have, you know, uh, friends and family. So I think it's not enough just to drive day and night, uh, to produce, uh, profits. If you don't have a life balance, I'm not sure what that is for. And, um, and so for me, making sure that, uh, you know, that it's not just business, but it's also taking care of my wife, my family, uh, my, fr- you know, my closest friends, uh, even my staff to make sure people are okay. Uh, you know, it's important for me. So that's awesome. That's awesome. Well, Chris, we often have listeners who resonate and want to reach out. What's the best way to reach you best way to reach the company? 
Uh, best way to reach the company is timecontrol.com. Uh, easy enough to spell. Um, uh, if they want to reach me directly, they can do that through uh, our company website. Uh, or they can go to my personal blog, my personal website, which is called epmguidance.com uh, for enterprise project management guidance. Uh, so epmguidance.com if they want to see stuff that I've written uh, and, um, uh, and maybe just connect with me directly. Uh, or through the company, timecontrol.com would be the two best ways. Awesome. Well, it's, it's really good to have you here. Thank you for sharing the wisdom and uh, <laughs> keep, up, keep up the good work. Thanks very much. Hope we can check in again sometime soon. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoyed the show. You can see the show notes and more links from today's episode at leadersofb2b.com.